reporting. Over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11, and here's Gene Shepard. to say this is funny um you know <laughs> life today with everything going on the way it's going on produces some unbelievable comic moments i mean right out of buster keaton and if you think it's only america listen to this one tadashi yamabe was helping lay a telephone cable this is japan of course in an underground conduit in osaka Yesterday morning, when an explosion ripped through the tunnel, Yamabe was shot 40 feet into the air, right through an open manhole. He didn't even touch it, just whoop, right out through the open manhole, and came down feet first through the tile roof of a two-story house. Tushinahiro Nagakwara, awakened by the noise, looked up to see Yamabe hanging through the roof by his hands. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, we should be laughing. Well, in a way, yeah, because the guy wasn't hurt, you know. Nobody was hurt. Uh, <laughs> uh, nobody was hurt. And what happened was officials believe one of the workmen struck a match to light a cigarette and ignited the gas on him. Boom! Forty feet in the air. It's like getting shot out of a cannon. And what's so groovy, the guy just comes right down his feet for it and he's hanging on the roof then. <laughs> You know that 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 reminds me. Uh, if if sometimes you see you you know you just see things that 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 they uh, that the two real comedies. You ever you ever watch uh, some of these uh, 
revive two reelers in, in the, the local art theaters, or some of these are fantastic, because they're based on reality, you know. A lot of people see these things, and they don't realize that uh, maybe many people who've led sheltered lives don't realize that, uh, that the reason they laugh is that it's based on an actual, you know, the real probability or possibility, not probability, but possibility. I remember one fantastic moment that I saw in my life. I actually saw this moment, the fantastic moment. And I, while, I w while I was watching it, I couldn't believe it was happening. I'm, I'm walking home from school one day, see, and I'm just walking along the big, big intersection, right? You know how big, big intersection there. Now, the intersection had buildings on all four corners of it, but one building was on the corner, and it had a, a driveway, you know, that went all the way around. It was like a drive-in, see, but it had a driveway around it, and this building had some, uh, like a pool room in it. It was a pool room. It was actually what it was, a pool room, you know, the, sort of a, the bomb sort of hung out there, you know, that kind of a place, see. But it had a driveway around it. That's important to the story. And all the other buildings were just buildings, see. But there was a lot of action going on in this place. It was a big intersection. I'm walking along, and uh, I come to the corner. I'm waiting for the light to change. Light is now red. So I'm standing there with about three other kids, because there's a lot of traffic. You know, ordinarily, we just go right through the hell with the light. But this, you know, the traffic. Well, a guy came driving up and stopped in his car. Okay. And he is waiting for the light to change, too. He's sitting in there, and he's in a Chevy, a coupe. It was a, just a Chevy. See, he stops. The light changes. And at that point, just as the light changed, a guy came wheeling up behind this guy. And I see it. See, I'm watching the whole scene. Came wheeling up behind this guy and goes, whap, hits him right in back before the guy could get going. At which point, the door of the guy's car flies open. I'm talking about the guy that got hit. Door flies open on the driver's side, and he flies right out. He just zip, right flies out of the car and lands sprawling. I mean, he just lay, just sprawling with his arms and legs out, and he's flat. Now, he wasn't hurt. He just flew out. And he lands on. Well, now, that didn't stop. That did not stop the action. It seems that just as he was hit, he had just put his car in gear, and was about to go when he got hit in the back. The door flew open, and out he came. And, of course, now he's gone, but the car's in gear, and it goes, it starts to go. <laughs> well, now, you know how it is when you're a driver. A lot of times you will, you will come up to a corner, and when you're about to turn, say, right, and you're waiting for the light, you'll get your wheel turned, you know, and you're waiting for the light to turn, and when it, when it changes green... But you've got your car already steered that way, you know, so the light changes and you just go around a corner. Well, this guy's car starts to go, and it was in low gear. It was in first gear, and it goes... Just goes right around the corner perfectly, like all the other cars. Other guys were driving. This car just goes all by itself. And here's this guy sprawling on the street, and he jumps up, and he says, My car! My car is going! And just goes right around... And it just makes a beautiful U-turn and goes right around the back of this building. It just turns right into the driveway, just like it was going in there, see? And continues directly around the building, entirely on the driveway, out the other driveway. See, it's a driveway in the corner. And, and goes right through the light again. It's made a complete circle. And this guy is chasing it, see? <laughs> the car is going zip, zip. It's going round and round. And we're standing there watching the whole scene. We're right in the middle of it, you see. You've got to realize we're, we're in the middle of the circle. He's going right over. The car's going around. 
and and Schwartz is watching. He's hey, look at the guy's car, and everybody's cheering. <laughs> he goes around. Well, he not only made one turn, the car continued to go, and for some reason or other, it was getting the bit in its teeth. It was going faster now. It starts to pick up speed. It makes three complete revolutions, and the guy's losing ground. See, and people are all standing around watching and cheering. <laughs> Goes around the pool room. It's, it's circling the pool room. Just keeps going round and round and round the pool room. Well, at this point, dogs were barking, people were cheering, and this guy was running. And he was a dignified-looking bird, which added to the humor of it. He was not, you know, he had a, had a vest on, you know, the kind with the black suit with the vest with the chain with the elk's tooth hanging, and he had a big paunch, and he's chugging away after the car. And and he didn't seem to, you know, worry about the people laughing or hollering. He's just chugging away after his car. Nobody's, nobody bothered to help him. That was another thing. The car's just going round and round. Well, at that point, the car is going too fast and is beginning to catch up with him. It is coming around faster than he's going, and now it's coming up behind him. So somebody hollered, look out, it's coming up behind you. And he turns around, his car's behind him. He says, ah, just like that, see? He leaps out of the way of his own car and lands sprawling right in the street, just like before. See, now at this point, he's really mad. His glasses fly off and nickels fall out of his pocket. And the car is going too fast. And he, he runs across the street. He says, holler, help, 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 save me. My car is running away. Well, the car is making narrower and narrower circles as it goes. And it was inevitable. And everybody watched. This was like a Greek tragedy. Everybody was afraid to get in front of it. The car makes about nine circles, and each one, and now it is coming very close to the back of this pool room. And sure enough, on the on the tenth circle it's making, it goes pow right into the side of the pool room. And then the action started. If you think that the action was heavy before... Now, this is a classical Buster Keaton scene. See, a Buster Keaton scene builds. It does not just say, watch, the guy's going to fly off the top. No, it builds. The thing goes, pow, hits the side. Pow. And it was a pregnant pause for a second. Just hung in the air like that when, kaboom, there was an explosion. Just went, kaboom. The top of the pool room blew up. <laughs> And there's a great billowing pile of smoke flew out of the back of the pool room. And 5,000 guys came pouring out of the pool room like cockroaches. Now, they, you know, the king that hangs around pool rooms, this crowd had not seen the light of day, you know, since they were nine years old. These these sleazy-looking characters came running out, the wild-eyed, you know, hoop, hoop, running. And, of course, at that instant, the police are descending on the scene. Now, somebody's called the cops, and five squad cars are descending. Well, these pool room guys saw the cops coming. They didn't know what the hell was going on. They figured they were being raided. They took off in all directions. They're running like mad. There's about 25 of them going like cockroaches, and the cops are jumping out of the cars, and they see these guys running. They don't know what's going on. All they know is the guys are running. <laughs> so they jump out of the car, and they're running like mad. 500 cops are chasing these guys all down the street. I'm saying, my God, I can't believe what's happening. The police are chasing the guys. In the meantime... This, this this pool room has blown up again, and fire engines are now coming. And here's this poor guy. He's got a hold of the back of the bumper of his car, which is now stuck. The nose of the bumper, the car is stuck right into the side of the pool room. 
You know, it's a wooden Purim. He's trying to pull it out all by himself. He's hollering, help me, help me. Well, he pulls the back of the car, and the final thing happened. He grabs the bumper, he's pulling like that, and his coat rips right from the top to the bottom. He's got this black suit. He goes, wow! Well, I want to tell you, the excitement went on for about 20 minutes. And the cops are rounding up all the pool room guys. The guy's car is, is stuck in the pool room, the top of the pool room. And incidentally, the guy that did, did, did the whole thing that hit the car in the first place, he was lost in the shuffle. Nobody ever heard from him again. <laughs> hey, listen, that reminds me. Do you have... Do you have that? Get that record, Jerry. That that record on the back. That one I have there. That they had it to him, Skip. That one that's got the the cellophane on it. Yeah, that's it. Now, would you bring that in here, Jerry? I want to show. I want to take a look at something here. But that was a fantastic scene, and it could not have been timed better if it was done by you know a master of of uh, of real sight comedy. And ever since that you know that day, I've always thought. Yeah, let me take a look at this thing. Whoop, gee whiz. Hold it there. Uh, hold it, hold it. Just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Uh, storm at sea, tranquility. Tender sentimental, the villains sleep. Into uh, the darkness, tranquility. Indians came to dawn, a storm at sea. Uh, no, he does not have any comedy stuff, strangely enough, here. Uh, the, re- the What I'm asking here, what I'm talking about, is that I have a record that was uh, composed and played by a a legitimate uh, pianist who played for silent movies. Have you ever heard the real thing? Now, wait a minute. A lot of people think they have. There's been a lot of records put out that were not by authentic people. This is one of the very few authentic records ever recorded by a man who really did play in in theaters. In fact, the guy's retired now. He's an old gentleman, and... Uh, in fact, here it is. I, I'm reading his notes. It says, I started my career as a silent movie pianist in 1923 at the, at the Eagle Theater, a small, sour-smelling establishment located in the Borough Park section of Brooklyn. On Saturday and Sunday afternoons and holidays, I did a three-hour stint as relief pianist for a fat female piano teacher. I was relieved in turn by the full-time pro, a thin, doer, erratic man in his 30s. He hated playing the piano, he hated movies, and he hated the audiences, especially the kids. He says, I, being a kid myself, loved all of them. I played for the greats, Douglas Fairbanks, Buster Keaton, Chester Conklin. You want to hear how a real piano? Uh, you got it in there, Jerry? Here. All right, this is WOR New York. Cha-cha-da-chee-chee, Chinatown, where the lights are low. Uh, it's time for our little commercial here for the House of Chan. Ring, ting, 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 ring, ting, ting. La That's kind of nice, you know. Uh, if you uh, friends uh, have never tried the House of Chan, I would like to highly recommend it. It's a really great uh, Chinese restaurant here in town. Been here for 35 years, and they're in a great location. They're at uh, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. And uh, they're open seven days a week. They've been there for a long time, and they produce some of the finest food in the business. Seven days a week, they have a bar, and they're open on Sunday, of course, and they're open till midnight. And if you're making a theater or something in town one of those nights, you just drop in there and tell them you're going to the show, and they'll get one of those woks hot, and they'll have the food ready for you, and you will be out, and you'll be making the curtain. 
How's the chan? Bump, ba dump, bump. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll play. I'll play various cuts to show you how this guy produced the moods. And, of course, the pianists of the period would invent their own music. All right, we'll start on side A. Side A. Okay, side A. And while you're getting that set in there, because you know that scene was right out of a, a fantastic silent movie. I Did you, you know, there's a local channel here. Is it Channel 5, Jerry, that has an occasional silent movie on? Hey, Jerry, listen to me. Just put side one, side, that's it, side one. Is there a, is there a, a local channel that puts silent movies on occasionally? Five, yeah. And you know they're really effective on television. I mean, did you see any of them? They're, they're, they're really great, you know, with the, with the subtitles. It's kind of, <laughs> I really, really, they're really effective. They're, I think, more effective watching them on television than they are actually in the theater. I don't know why. It's a curious thing. But uh, here is here is the sound of an. This is the real thing, really. This not. This is not an authentic quote recreation. This is an actual uh, piano. That, by the way, the piano itself was used in old movie houses. And these guys would sit down, and they would invent the music. They they since there was problems because of of copyrights and stuff, the pianist would be paid by his ability to invent music that would go with the movies, and at the same time, they wouldn't have to pay any copyright <laughs> uses or anything like that. So the guy is, he took a fantastic talent. He had to be a, a composer and a piano player. And he had to know all the moods. He would play all his mood stuff. And uh, and his name uh, was Abraham Lass, is Abraham Lass. And uh, he's an authentic, uh, he's the authentic thing. If you want to hear how a real, silent movie piano... I never... I, I never heard any of this. I've never heard any of these things actually authentic ones. Uh, the recordings I've heard have always been guys playing it sort of hokey, but this is the real thing. Now, I'll give you a... I'll, I'll play a piece, and uh, I'll play the first cut. Play band one now when I give you the cue, Jim. And I will have you, Skip, guess what mood he's trying to create. Okay? All right, play band one. If you know what it is he's trying to create, you feel the tension in it. It's not a bad piano, it's not a bad composition either, is it? He composed it. You know what that is? Hold it. Do you have any idea what he, what he's trying to now? Now, 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 set band two on that, will you, Jim? You have any idea what he was trying to do? All right, I'll tell you what it was. It was a storm at sea. Now, can you imagine how effective that would be? You can just see the scene, you know, with the with the wind blowing and all. All right, now here's one. Here's one for you, Jerry. You ready for this one? You can just see it, you know, birds awakening and twittering. 
And you can see dude dropping off. Yeah, how they used to do those close-up shots. Dude dropping off of petals. The sun just peeping up over the horizon. That's called exactly what it sounds like. Came the dawn. You know it is. That's came the dawn. Okay, now I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to 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 give me cut. Uh, see, he covers all the moods. That was came the dawn. Give me the next cut. Now I'll give you a little bit of that one to show you the subtle difference. Came the dawn gives you a dawn feeling, and it's a very peaceful feeling. But it is dawn. Now here's a subtle variation of the next one. Is that cut four? No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. That, you gave, that's it. Okay. This is a different thing. What's this, then? Listen carefully, Jay. You immediately know what that is. That's right. Has one word. Indians! <laughs> you can just see them all lining up on the horizon. War paint. Indians played a big role in a lot of those movies. Okay, okay, Jim. Now, here, here's, a, here's an example of, of, of a very subtle move. Give me cut four. And uh, very subtle. I don't know why I'm doing this. I just happen to have this record around. I thought of it. Now, you see, you can see this is not hokey. He's not hoking it up. He created an actual mood. He didn't... Uh, His dynamics are good. What is the mood? Well, it's obvious what it is. I mean, it should be obvious. That's simply tranquility. You know, the little farmhouse, the old folks sitting on the porch rocking. Tranquility. Now, thank you. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> you like that one. Now, if you can give me cut six. Cut six. Which is a great... Now, I'll give you the cue. Hold it for a second. Now, this is a great... You have to build a scene for this one, see? And there you see this, this simple little farmhouse with threadbare carpets. And a stern father with a gray, scraggly beard, his rimless glasses. And he's sitting by the flickering light of a kerosene lamp, reading his Bible. And you see the light flickering on the walls as he's reading this Bible. And he's looking very stern. And then suddenly we see, appearing in the doorway from the upstairs bedroom, we see a thin waif-like girl with a pale face. And she's wearing a dark, threadbare shawl. And she is carrying in her arms a tiny, newborn babe. And the father's face suddenly whitens with, with anger. He is, he is angry. 
And he looks at this beautiful, his daughter, carrying this baby. And he slams the door open, and you see the storm roaring outside. And his hand points out in the storm, Go! And the girl stands for a moment, the wind screaming in through the open door, her tiny child wrapped in the shawl. Disgraced. Disgraced. And the father points into the storm and says, Go! Never darken my door again. Thou hast broken a commandment. the door slams shut we see a shot of the girl struggling against the storm the wind howling her tiny child clutched to her breast a tragedy disgrace has struck a simple god-fearing farmhouse on the great plains of america is beginning to freeze now. The child is crying piteously. She looks back at the house and she sees her stern father standing in the doorway, pointing, Never darken my door again. You are no longer a daughter of mine. How'd you like that scene? (laughs) That's exactly what it was called, by the way. Out into the storm, go and darken my door no more. Now, uh, wait a minute. Now, here. Now, of course, that's it. Give me the next cut. Hold it there for a minute. Now, the next cut is very elegant. Uh, this is another scene entirely. Of course, these, uh, you know, these movies had all kinds of different things. And one of the things that they did at one time was large numbers of very, very stagey historical movies that involved... Uh, George Washington, and involved uh, elegant people like uh, Richard Dix, uh, dressed in in the uh, in the uniform of a revolutionary officer, under uh, under under Washington, and now it is the eve of a big battle, and we are in this home in Virginia, and the orchestra is tuning up, and we see Richard Dix, an elegant 17th century or elegant 18th century English officer. And he is moving out, and they begin to play as the music. They're bowing. I don't have to explain anymore. You can see the scene. is simply called at an 18th century formal ball. Now, hold it there. These are these are these are interesting, aren't they, Jerry? They're really. Now, if you will give me, uh, get it up there. Now, give me cut. Uh, oh, this is a this is the, you know this is so. Uh, give me cut eight. Give me cut eight. That's the next cut there. Cut eight. 
Cut eight. Uh, cut eight is kind of nice. Uh, this, this, uh, this. Uh, now here's cut eight. Now you have to picture the scene always. See, and here's the scene. Uh, you see this, this, uh, this white-faced, uh, this white-faced lover, and he's 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 sitting on a uh, on a bench in a trellis, and roses are growing around him, and he he is. Sitting next to him is this, is this girl with, this, with long curls, golden curls. And the camera dollies in and picks uh, the, the spot of her cheek. And you see the cheek and the eye. And, and the eye is glowing with, with, uh, with a touch of stardust. And he takes her in his arms and the piano begins to play. Kisses her tenderly. You can the camera then moves slightly to the left. And you see the roses being blown by a soft June breeze. They're fluttering. This is simply called tender, sentimental love. Hey man, how can you miss? With this stuff going behind you, you could come on and act like a, you know, like a clothespin with pants. And you wouldn't have a dry eye in the audience. Now he holds her hand and he kisses her hand. And once again, we see the dew light glistening in her large, luminescent eyes. Now... Okay, now, okay. Totally different scene. Give me cut nine, please. <laughs> totally different scene. You got it up there? All right, ready. Totally different scene. Get it set up there. And now, all right, okay, now. you got to set up the scene, see. Here we have, again, we have a, a threadbare farm living room. And you can see that the, that the people are, are deep in poverty. And the, the old gentleman is sitting in a wheelchair. Obviously, he's been incapacitated, too old, and no longer can he work. And his apple-cheeked old wife is sitting across the table from him knitting. And their daughter comes down from upstairs, a beautiful rosebud girl who just glows with vitality and health. But something is wrong. Something is seriously amiss in this scene. They are poverty-stricken. And the father takes out from between the pages of a book, he takes what appears to be a document. The camera quickly zooms in on it. And you see that it says in black letters above it, Order of Eviction. And then suddenly, without any warning, the door slams open... And in walks a man, a tall man with a heavy black mustache, a tall silk black hat, and he points at the notice of eviction. And he points out to the, 
to the barren fields. Go, he is saying, go. And the mother wrings her hands. Tears course down her cheeks. And the old gentleman tries to arise from his wheelchair. He shakes his fist. And at that, the villain twirls his mustache and once again points. And you see him mouthing, go, I say, go. And then suddenly, an evil smile crosses his face. And he points to Violet, the daughter. And his arms fling wide, as if in a ghastly pantomime, saying, I love you. And she begins to cry as she runs upstairs. And at that point, that evil man takes the notice of eviction, and he points at it and says, Go now! Go out now! And there isn't a dry eye in the audience. <laughs> That's simply called Enter the Villain. That was great, you know. Now, do you want to hear another one? Now, please, give me the other side. The other side. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, Jim. Give me the last cut. The last cut. Now, after ten reels, after ten reels, you remember the first scene when the man sent his daughter out to the storm? Uh, Many things have happened in the meantime, and now the old gentleman is on his deathbed. And uh, the mother is, is the, the old mother now is sitting by, sitting by the side of the old gentleman who is dying. When a knock comes at the door and she looks up, the door opens and in comes the daughter who is now a grown woman. And with her is her child, somehow magically still a tiny child. And uh, the old man is is. You can see tears running down his cheeks now as he realizes that his child, his, his, his daughter has returned. And all of his life he has rued the day that he sent her out in the storm. And she has returned just in time as he is about to die, but his life is now complete. And then the tiny child is brought forth and shown to the aging, the aging dying gentleman. And the child is quietly sleeping in her arms as the camera dollies in on the hope and the fears and all the desires of the passing generations are upon this sleeping child. And there's a shout of the old gentleman as he's peacefully dying now. His heart is filled. The mother weeps quietly. And the two of them now look at the child, which is all that remains of their tiny family on the Great Plains. The child sleeping peacefully in the mother's arms, at last clasped in the bosom of the family. That's called sleep, my child. <laughs> All right, uh, do you like this, Jerry? You like these scenes? Can you just see them? All right, now I'm going to flip it over, give me cut one. Cut one, side two, right? Okay. Now, this, this is a great scene. All of a sudden, the, uh, you're watching the, the, the movie, see? And suddenly, on this screen comes this great white letters. And it, uh, you see, a, there's, a, there's a guy with, with the... He's apparently grinding a camera. 
You see him there in, in an outline. You see these two eyes coming towards you. And above it is a big white letter, a big white black letters that says, News of the Day. Okay, that's... <laughs> oh, I see what he did, yeah. Hop that in, Jim. Come on. Skip in on that one. What the hell is that? Is that cut side two? You're playing? Cut one. Okay, it's mis it's mis uh it's mislabeled then. That is not newsreel shots. <laughs> no way. That's mislabeled. Alright, give me cut two then. Cut two. Oh, oh no, 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 you're playing it. I don't want you to play it. You're killing the bit. Cut two. You're playing it now. Cut two. And give you this. All right, okay. Now, here's cut two. Now, this this was a very important one because this, see, this scene is played over and over again in today's movies uh, in many different variations. And uh, this particular scene can be played in about, about 20 million different styles and different techniques, but it all amounts to the same thing. An inevitable, crushing, evil force is approaching at great speed. And right in its path is a fragile flower. Right? Now, the evil force can be uh, the gangster with a machine gun. It can be almost anything. But it is an evil force. When suddenly, out of the bushes appears Burt Lancaster. And he leaps up he whips out his forty-five, and... That's called rescued. <laughs> rescued at last. Now, of course, you realize that Jack Palance and Burt Lancaster are having a fantastic battle. You can follow the whole scene here. Thundering horses and guys shooting behind them, right? Other guys shooting ahead. You see a guy topple off the stagecoach. There's always a guy that flies off the front seat of the stagecoach. Somebody's horse falls down on the foreground. And then, at the last moment, a wheel comes off the stagecoach. It rolls down a gully and bursts into flames. Oh, my God. But that does not stop for the last instant, he snatches the girl off the top of the stagecoach and rides ahead his great sorrel horse. <laughs> we see the cavalry coming down over the hills. There's seventh, there's seventh cavalry flag flying. Richard Whitmark is at their head. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Uh, here, here's one now. Here's, here's uh, kind of a good one. Uh, this played a great scene. Uh, cut five, please, if you will. Cut five of the same side. Uh, this You notice that, that these are movies from the silent period, and yet they cover all the movies of our period. I mean, the, the same stuff is happening in them uh, in, in various ways. I mean, people are always getting rescued in movies, you know, and the whole bit. But here's, here's a kind of a goodie. Uh, you have to put it to a contemporary, you know, a contemporary movie, right? Okay. Contemporary movie. 
we see a tent, or inside a tent, and uh, we see seated at the tent, uh, seated at a desk, a, a very crude, uh, obviously a box-like desk that's made for field use. We see seated behind the desk, we see John Wayne dressed in his colonel uniform of the Northern Cavalry of the Civil War. When a prisoner is brought before him, and he gets up and he says, well, I'll be, I swan. It's my old riding partner, Bert Lancaster. When did you get into cavalry? The two of them shake hands and you can see these old buddies have gotten together. It's the war between the states. Now we see them riding out over long, dusty roads. Off in the distance, we see the southern cavalry gathering beside a river. Royal Dano, sitting tall, doer atop his gray horse. We know he's going to get killed shortly by a mini ball fired by Burt Lancaster. It is brother against brother. Royal Dano, the long-lost brother of Burt Lancaster, is about to die in battle as Lancaster is led in by Colonel John Wayne. And the 123rd Massachusetts Rifles go marching out to save the Union, to protect the hearth side, to free the slaves, and to get behind Abraham Lincoln. The Union hangs in balance. Little do we realize as we watch that Burt Lancaster, Captain Burt Lancaster, in the battle of Little Bighorn, is about to kill his brother, Corporal Royal Dano. Ah, but there are moments of poignant thoughtfulness on the route. It is springtime, and a young nation is in is in turmoil. The camera plays over quiet farm scenes that are about to explode into the blazing holocaust of civil war. The water dances on the Appomattox. A blossom quivers tremblingly. Yes, it is spring. But death is in the air as a young nation struggles to survive under the anguish of civil war. And Colonel Wayne leads the 123rd Massachusetts Rifles into battle. Did you like that? <laughs> what are you grinning about, Skip? <laughs> How many times have you seen that scenario? If I wanted to, I could, you know, I could turn into a hack writer, turn that stuff out by. <laughs> Oh, man. But that was, you know, I, I just saw this record, and I thought it was, if you're curious what the record was, any of you, it's it's uh, composed and played by Abraham Lass, L-A-S-S, and he was an authentic uh, piano uh, accompanist to silent movies. I just saw this thing, I thought it was kind of a, it's called Play Me a Movie, Ash Records. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, you know, it's, uh, you get carried away by these things. Hey, I didn't do the House of Chan. Is that okay? All right. 
course I do. What am I talking about? Bring it up there, large. Chinese wood blocks. Oh, and of course, there's, there's about 12 million variations of these movies. And uh, and don't immediately write to me and say, Shepard, you must be my age because I remember silent movies, too. I don't. That's way before my time. You're just going to have to accept that. But I'll tell you this. For a long time, I was a fantastic film buff, as they call it there. I used to go to the museum. When I was out of work, you curious when I did it? When I, when I first came to New York and I was out of work, I, I had a... I, I, <laughs> A great place I would go every afternoon. The Museum of Modern Art. Right, Jerry? And I'd sit over there in that theater, and I saw more stuff, man, when I was getting no phone calls from agents. I used to sit there, and I couldn't have cared. You know, didn't mean anything to me at first. But then it began to get under my skin. They'd have this giant D.W. Griffith Festival. I'd sit there through 14 hours of intolerance. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been there, fellas. I've been there. I've, I've, I've been the scene, you know. I've seen it. And nothing is, nothing is more deadening than a Carl Dreyer festival. Uh, you know, Danish filmmaker. Joan of Arc. My God. And so the quiet, tinkling sounds. Bring it up there large, Jim. By the way, that would be better called Long Afternoons in the Museum of Modern Art when you're out of work. <laughs> yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News.